Chapter Eleven, Part One of The Curious Lore of Precious Stones. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in December two thousand eighteen. The Curious Lore of Precious Stones by George Frederick Kuntz. Chapter Eleven on the therapeutic use of precious and semi-precious stones the medicinal use of precious stones may be traced back to very ancient times it has been conjectured that their employment for such purposes was introduced to europe from india whence many of the stones were derived nevertheless the earliest evidence we have rather points to egypt as the source and indeed it appears that in early egyptian times the chemical constituents of the stones were much more rationally considered than at a later period in europe the ebers papyrus for instance recommends the use of certain astringent substances such as lapis lazuli as ingredients of eye salves and hematite an iron oxide was used for checking hemorrhages and for reducing inflammations Little by little, however, superstition associated certain special virtues with the color and quality of precious stones, and their virtues were thought to be greatly enhanced by engraving on them the image of some god, or of some object symbolizing certain of the activities of nature. Later still, the science of astrology, most highly developed in Assyria and Babylonia, was brought into combination with the various superstitions above indicated so that the image was believed to have much greater efficacy if the engraving were executed when the sun was in a certain constellation or when the moon or some one of the planets was in the ascendant at the time if we exclude certain fragmentary notices in egyptian literature notably the statements in the ebers papyrus and the very uncertain sources in hindu literature the earliest authority for this branch of the subject is the natural history of pliny in this connection however it is only just to call attention to a fact which has been often ignored namely that pliny himself had very little faith in the teachings of the magi as he calls them in regard to the superstitious use of gems for the prevention or cure of diseases indeed he seems to have been almost as sceptical in his attitude as many modern writers for certain quite recent authorities still credit amber and a few other mineral substances with therapeutic effects other than those which can be explained by the known action of their chemical constituents still pliny yielded so far to the taste of his time as to preserve for us many of the statements of earlier writers on the subject naming them in most cases and so enabling us to form some idea of the character of this pseudo-science in the roman world in the first century of our era with the gradual decay of ancient learning the less valuable elements of popular belief came more and more into the foreground and the old superstitions were freely copied by successive authors each of whom felt called upon to add something new on his own account this explains much of the confusion that reigns in regard to the attribution of special virtues to the different stones for the wider the reading of the author the greater became the number of virtues attributed to each separate stone 
until at last we might almost say that each and every precious stone could be used for the cure of all diseases nevertheless it is comparatively easy to see that either the colour or constitution of the stone originally indicated its use for this or that disease a distinction is often made between the talismanic qualities of precious stones for the cure or prevention of disease and the properly medicinal use of them as mineral substances in the former case the effect was attained by merely wearing them on the person while in the latter case they were reduced to a powder which was dissolved as far as possible in water or some other liquid and then taken internally as however the end to be attained is the same whether the stone be worn or taken internally as a power or liquid it seems more logical to treat of both these methods of therapeutic use together reserving for the chapter on the talismanic use of gems only their employment to avert misfortunes other than those caused by disease and their influence in the procuring of wealth honours and happiness for their wearers the belief in the curative properties of precious stones was at one time universal among all those to whom gems were known when we read to-day of the various ills that were supposed to be cured by the use of these gems we find it difficult to understand what process of thought could have suggested the idea of employing such ineffectual remedies it is true that the constituents of certain stones can be absorbed by the human body and have a definite effect upon it but the greater part of the elements are so combined that they cannot be assimilated and they pass through the system without producing any apparent effect in ancient and medieval times however other than chemical agencies were supposed to be efficient in the cure of diseases and the primitive animistic conception of the cause of illness and hence of the therapeutics of disease long held sway among those who practised the medical art remedies were prized because of their rarity and also because it was believed that certain spiritual or planetary influences had aided in their production and were latent in them besides this the symbolism of colour played a very important part in recommending the use of particular stones for special diseases this may be noted in the case of the red or reddish stones such as the ruby spinel garnet carnelian bloodstone etc these were thought to be sovereign remedies for hemorrhages of all kinds as well as for all inflammatory diseases they were also believed to exercise a calming influence and to remove anger and discord the red hue of these stones was supposed to indicate their fitness for such use upon the principle similia similibus curantur in the same way yellow stones were prescribed for the cure of bilious disorders for jaundice in all its forms and for other diseases of the liver the use of green stones to relieve diseases of the eye was evidently suggested by the beneficial influence exerted by this colour upon the sight the verdant emerald represented the beautiful green fields upon which the tired eye rests so willingly and which exerts such a soothing influence upon the sight when it has been unduly strained or fatigued one of the earliest probably the very earliest reference in greek writings to the therapeutic value of gems appears in the works of theophrastus who wrote in the third century before christ 
here we are told of the beneficial effect exercised by the emerald upon the eyes the sapphire the lapis lazuli and other blue stones with a hue resembling the blue of the heavens were believed to exert a tonic influence and were supposed to counteract the wiles of the spirits of darkness and procure the aid and favor of the spirits of light and wisdom these gems were usually looked upon as emblems of chastity and for this reason the sapphire came to be regarded as especially appropriate for use in ecclesiastical rings among purple stones the amethyst is particularly noteworthy the well-known belief that this gem counteracted the effects of undue indulgence in intoxicating beverages is indicated by its name derived from methuo to be intoxicated and the privative alpha the name thus signifying the sobering gem it is not unlikely that a fancied resemblance between the prevailing hue of these stones and that of certain kinds of wine first gave rise to the name and to the idea of the peculiar virtues of the amethyst we have mentioned only a few of the more obvious analogies suggested by the color of gems and we might be tempted to cite many others were it not that symbolism is always treacherous ground since there is practically no limit to the correspondences that may be found between sensuous impressions and ideas one great difficulty which besets any one who is trying to find a clue to guide him through the labyrinth of the medical affinities of gems is the fact that there was from an early period a tendency to attribute the virtues of one gem to another probably owing to the commercial instinct which urged the dealer to praise his wares in every possible way so that no part of his stock should fail to find a purchaser this tendency is especially marked in the old hindu lapidaries wherein it is almost impossible to find any differentiation of the stones in respect to their curative or talismanic virtues only the condition and perfection of the gems are made the criterion of their worth any given stone if perfect was a source of all blessings to the wearer and possessed all remedial powers while a defective stone or one lacking the proper luster or color was destined to be a source of untold misfortune to the owner the european writers on the medical properties of precious stones were influenced by quite different considerations their chief aim was to represent each stone regarded simply as a mineral substance as being the abode of the greatest possible number of curative properties indeed many of the most highly recommended electuaries contained all kinds of stones as though the effect to be produced did not depend upon the qualities of any single stone or class of stones but rather upon the quantity used in arnobio's tesore delle giore we have a receipt for the composition of the most noble electuary of jacinth this contains jacinth emerald sapphire topaz garnet pearl ruby white and red coral and amber as well as many animal and vegetable substances in all thirty-four ingredients it would indeed seem that a good dose of such a mixture should have provided a cure for all the ills that flesh is heir to by the simple and effective means of removing the unhappy patient to a better world treating of the metallic affinities of precious stones paracelsus 
1593-1541, affirmed that the emerald was a copper stone, the carbuncle and the jasper were golden stones, the ruby and the chalcedony silver stones. The white sapphire, corundum, was a stone of Jupiter, while the jacinth was a mercurial stone. Powdered jacinth mixed with an equal quantity of laudanum was recommended as a remedy for fevers resulting from putrefaction of the air or water. This illustrates the custom of combining an inefficacious material, such as the powder of a precious stone, with another possessing genuine remedial virtue, the name of the stone appealing to the popular superstitions regarding its therapeutic powers, and thus rendering the preparation more acceptable. It is related by Plutarch that when Pericles was dying of the plague, he showed to one of his friends, who was visiting him, an amulet suspended from his neck. This had been given to Pericles by the women of his household, and Plutarch cites the instance as a proof that even the strongest minds will, at certain times, yield to the influence of superstition. There were sceptics in ancient times who put no faith in the popular superstitions as to the curative powers of precious stones. Eusebius, circa 264 to circa 349, in his oration on the emperor Constantine the Great, 272 to 337, says, he held that the varieties of stones so greatly admired were useless and ineffective things. They possessed no other qualities than their natural ones, and hence no efficacy to hold evils aloof. For what power can such things have either to cure disease or to avert death? Nevertheless, although he well knew this, he was in no wise opposed to their use simply as ornaments by his subjects. The Middle High German didactic poem on precious stones composed by Volmar or Volamar about 1250 appears to have been written as a rejoinder to a satirical poem, the work of a writer called the Stricker, Rascal. What chiefly aroused Volmar's wrath was the fact that this irreverent personage dared to assert that a piece of coloured glass set in a ring looked just as well and possessed the same virtues as a genuine precious stone of the same colour. Volmar does not mince matters, and roundly declares that whoever should kill the man who wrote thus would do no sinful act. While we can scarcely recommend such drastic action, we must admit that we feel a little sympathy with the medieval champion of genuine stones against imitations. A most interesting item recording one phase of a great tyrant's character is reported by Sir Jerome Horsey, who was entrusted with messages to and from Elizabeth of England and Ivan the Terrible of Russia. He gives, in his Travels, a graphic recital of an interview with Ivan just before the latter's death in 1584. We retain the archaic spelling as it is reproduced in the Hacklite publication from the original manuscript. Writing of Ivan, Horsey says, Carried every day in his chair into his treasure. One day the prince beckoned me to follow. I strode among the rest venturously and heard him call for some precious stones and jewels. Told the prince and nobles present before and about him the virtue of such and such, which I observed, and do pray I may a little digress to declare for my own memory's sake. 
the lodestone you all know hath great and hidden virtue without which the seas that compass the world are not navigable nor the bounds nor circles of the earth cannot be known mahomet the persian's prophet his tomb of steel hangs in their repata at darbent most miraculously caused the waiters to bring a chain of needles touched by his lodestone hanged all one by the other this fair curl coral and this fair turcus you see take in your hand of this nature are orient colours put them on my hand and arm i am poisoned with disease you can see they show their virtue by the change of their pure colour into pall declares my death reach out my staff royal an unicorn's horn garnished with very fair diamonds rubies sapphires emeralds and other precious stones that are rich in value cost seventy thousand marks sterling of david gower from the falkers of ausborg seek out for some spiders caused his physicians johannes lof to scrape a circle thereof upon the table put within it one spider and so one other and died and some other without that ran alive apace from it it is too late it will not preserve me behold these precious stones this diamond is the orient's richest and most precious of all other i never affected it it restrains fury and luxury and abstinacy and chastity the least parcel of it in powder will poison a horse given to drink much more a man points at the ruby oh this is most comfortable to the heart brain vigour and memory of man clarifies congealed and corrupt blood then at the emerald the nature of the rainbow this precious stone is an enemy to uncleanness the sapphire i greatly delight in it preserves and increases courage joys the heart pleasing to all the vital senses precious and very sovereign for the eyes clears the sight takes away bloodshot and strengthens the muscles and strings thereof then takes the onyx in hand all these are god's wonderful gifts secrets in nature and yet reveals them to man's use and contemplation as friends to grace and virtue and enemies to vice i faint carry me away till another time some believed that when precious stones were worn to relieve or prevent disease it was important that the different stones should be worn on different parts of the body according to one authority the jacinth should be worn on the neck the diamond on the left arm the sapphire on the ring finger the emerald or the jacinth on the index finger and the ruby or turquoise on either the index finger or the little finger there is however little reason to assume that these rules were generally known and observed that precious stones not only appealed to the eye by their beautiful colours but also possessed a fragrant odour was one of the many fanciful ideas regarding them if we could believe the following circumstantial account this was once experimentally proved when precious stones are to be used in medicine they must be pulverized until they are reduced to a powder so fine that it will not grate under the teeth or in the words of galen this power must be as impalpable as that which is blown into the eyes since this trituration is not usually operated with sufficient care by the apothecaries i begged a medical student who was lodging with me 
to pass an entire month in grinding some of these stones. I gave him emeralds, jacinths, sapphires, rubies, and pearls, an ounce of each kind. As these stones were rough and whole, he first crushed them a little in a well-polished iron mortar, using a pestle of the same metal. Afterward he employed a pestle and mortar of glass, devoting several hours each day to this work. At the end of about three weeks, his room, which was rather large, became redolent with a perfume, agreeable both from its variety and sweetness. This odour, which much resembled that of March violets, lingered in the room for more than three days. There was nothing in the room to produce it, so that it certainly proceeded from the powder of precious stones. End of chapter 11, part 1